Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind Mapco at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542-6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. Speaking of which, our next guests are the founders of Karen the Load and Trail Angels, online communities dedicated to serving the needs of others and offering hope. They have dealt with the loss of a 21-year-old son. They learned to navigate the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of their family during the many years of the peaks and valleys in dealing with the chronic health challenges of their son. They have learned to embrace life's adventures, both good and difficult. Experience makes us who we are, unique and precious. So without further ado, let's welcome Annette and Mark Anderson, founders of Karen the Load and Trail Angels. Thank you so much for having us. We're thrilled to be here. It's awesome to have you. I'm glad that like we talked in the pre-show that uh, the internet helps us connect like we do now, uh, since we're about two inches apart on the map right now. So it'd be a lot harder to, to meet if we were just walking down the street and I was in Tennessee and you were in Utah. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on here and share your story with us. Glad to be here, Rich. If you don't mind, I know I just gave a little blurb about you there. If you want to go back as far as you want to from and how all this started to where we are now. 
Boy, where do we even begin with this, Annette? Uh, this this is a, a story that uh, we're we're, we're going to make it uh, not so long here, but uh, it's it's something that has impacted both of our lives and and the lives, quite frankly, of our uh, entire family. Not only our entire family, but our community, and our community seems to be getting larger as we continue to share our story and our experiences of of learning how to navigate those trails of life that, that are rocky and, and still having joy and happiness and being able to persevere. You know, just kind of give you a quick uh, uh, reason as to why we, we are called Karen the Load, C-A-I-R-N, is, a, is an important uh, symbol. Uh, if you've ever been hiking, and we love to hike in the mountains of Utah, and if you ever go hiking, you'll see trails. And along those trails, sometimes where there might be a uh, place where you're not quite sure, should I go left, should I go right, you'll see rock cairns. And those cairns are set up so that uh, we can know which direction we should take. And, and, and our whole focus and our objective is to create cairns for others who go through tragedy, who go through difficulties in their life. And we recognize not only from our own tragedy of losing a 21-year-old son from the effects of a brain tumor, but we see so many people and so many people have reached out to us asking us, how do you deal with the stresses of life? And so we've really tried to focus our attention to those who are dealing, which quite honestly is everybody with those stresses. That is awesome. And I, I know uh, hiking, I've seen those things. I never know what they were called. <laughs> so now I know what they are called. So that's awesome. I've hiked uh, in mountains in Korea, and I've seen them on the on the edges of the mountains there. I've hiked in the mountains in Afghanistan, also seen them there. Hiked in, I say hiked in Afghanistan. I had to climb mountains in Afghanistan, so they were there, but we didn't know what they were called. Thank you for sharing that knowledge. So, so to add on. to add on top of that, just quickly, the people that set those there are called trail angels. Trails. So we look at you as a trail angel. We look at others who are really striving to help. Uh, people along their own personal journey as trail angels. So a good analogy there. That's awesome. So you guys have been, uh, how long have you been uh, doing this since uh, you suffered this tragedy and you went through the whole uh, ups and downs of uh, taking care of your son and then you've, you lost him now? How long have you been going on and, and helping others to go through their situations? Well, to just even take it step back further, our son was eight years old when... Wow. We got a phone. I got a phone call one day from his teacher to to let me know that she thought maybe we needed to take him to the doctors and get checked because his hands were tremoring. And I thought, you know, at the time, I didn't really think a lot about. It. I thought, well, thank you, you know, let's go get the get him checked out. But now I look at that and I think, what? how grateful I am for a teacher that was that aware of the individual students and what was, you know, their tendencies were and what was going on. So we had a lot of years of dealing with a brain tumor with the sun and, and not knowing how to navigate those trails and the type of tumor he had, we, we couldn't really do anything. You know, the doctors could help manage the pain, but the location made it so we couldn't operate. It, um, chemo didn't do anything. We couldn't do radiation, like even the gamma knife radiation, because of the location of where it was at, it would have, 
it would have destroyed, you know, vital functions. So then fast forward to 16 years old. And as he grows, this tumor would grow. And, and um, a teacher, once again, at school, parent teacher conferences tells me, I don't think your son's reading and doing the homework and things like that, because he's not doing well on his homework assignments, which was a red flag for me because he was a good student. And I then, you know, talked to my, our son and, and he lets us know that, yeah, the headaches are worse, you know, all these things that are going on. And at that point, because of technology and the advancement of technology, he was the sixth in the world that they'd ever attempted this type of surgery. Wow. And he wanted it done. He was tired of living in pain. He was tired of the limitations that this tumor was causing. So fast forward, he went through the surgery. We knew it had to be perfect. It wasn't perfect, but he was blessed and we feel like his life was spared and we had a bonus five years. So all through this time, we're navigating these trails without a lot of knowledge of which way to go. And, you know, things would happen to him physically and the doctor's you know, we'd be in a doctor's office and the doctor would say, oh, this must have happened in the surgery. So it was even, you know, for them, it became a learning experience as well. And they were able to take those those trail markers, those Karens, and apply them to future, future patients, future children and adults that needed this type of surgery. But, you know, as we continue to heal and, and go through the grieving process, we started to see and have this empathy for others and we could see their pain and we could see their suffering. And we realized that, you know, we had something to offer and we could help others navigate those trails in their life. And so really it's been the last three years or so that we have really intentionally tried to to make a difference in, in helping others and this is from you know two individuals who are not really out there on social media <laughs> or um, podcasts and things but you know what I need to say is the healing that has come into our lives as we have gone out to help others has been incredible so so rich there were some takeaways that we learned along the way. Right. And we, we were dealing with a son that had a brain tumor. We were trying to deal with the physical part of it. We had no idea that uh, with him, with us, with our family and his friends, that there'd be psychological damage that uh, took place there as well. And it took us a long time to recognize that those were as serious as of an issue as the brain tumor was. I'm sure, I'm sure the mental, the mental drain on him it was probably really hard, especially since eight years old, all the way up. And then his friends seeing him go through this. And of course, you two trying to be the supportive mom and dad the whole time, trying to give him everything he needs to be comfortable and all that time. It was weighing heavy on your heads as well without you even knowing it. It, it was. And we, like you said, we didn't realize how heavy that weight was. And gratefully, I, I take this as a, as a, a blessing, a gift from what we have gone through is that now 
we have the ability to see that weight that others are carrying, that load, you know, we call carrying the load. Well, those rocks are heavy. And the, the experiences in life, the traumas, they have a weight associated with them. And so what we're trying to do is to help alleviate that weight, to take some of that pain away, to take those rocks and place them down on that trail. You know, we often refer to PTSD as something that happens in the military, and you know all about that, Rich. What we sometimes forget to recognize that there are triggers that uh, all of us have, but especially children right now, you know, dealing with a time that is really different than the rest of the history of mankind, dealing with COVID and dealing with everything that went along with that, the school issues. I, I came across a, an article that uh, was uh, from UNICEF that uh, was quoted that uh, throughout the entire world, they quoted that more than 40% of all children in the ages of 10 to 19 across the entire globe are su suffering from some type of a mental illness. And wow. that 24% uh, of our population, an increase of 24% of that happened during the last three years during COVID dealing with things that they've never had to deal with before. And the uh, emergency room visits UNICEF has said has increased over 40% during the last three years. So that we know that there is an incredible need for being able to better understand what all of us are going through. You know, we, we see the broken legs, we can understand when someone's got a black eye, but we don't see what's going on inside. And honestly, that was the hardest thing with having a sick son is he looked normal. Wow. And people didn't realize what was going on inside. I mean, that sounds, that kind of sounds not right. <laughs> but when you have a broken leg or a broken arm or, you know, those things that are visible, people might give you a break or right. they'll expect not be surprised when we react a certain way or do a certain thing we don't recognize and see what's going on inside. Exactly. And I, I think up to, to Mark's point about PTSD, a lot of soldiers that come home, you can't see that that's what's wrong with them. And it, some of it, like with you two, you didn't realize you had any problems or any mental issues. They don't realize it until they shut it off, until they either get out of the military or they go to a position in the military where they're not as active. And that's when it finally sits in. And the children today, like you are talking about a couple minutes ago, for two years being told that if they catch this disease, they're going to die or this and that, and they have to wear this mask and hide it. It was taken away from those children and shutting down schools took away their social and emotional growth. So now their mental health is real, like 40%. That's big for UNICEF to bring that out. And that's countries that are still developing that they work in. That's not counting the developed nations. So I'm sure that number's a little higher across the world. Right. You know, we, we learned something else very important as well. And that is, is that uh, you can't rush trying to fix a problem. Uh, too often, you know, we, we live in a society that uh, just tries to fix something really quickly. And uh, if you fix it, uh, good, you're, you're there. But if you don't fix it, it's okay. You can just sweep it under the rug and no one will see it. And uh, we, we've, we've learned that, uh, that uh, fixing a broken mind, think, fixing a broken 
uh, thinking pattern can be very, very difficult. And it's something that we can't just expect to have fixed overnight. And that exactly. broken heart is real. Yes. And, and it's, uh, and we need to acknowledge it and, and that pain and that suffering. And, you know, we have, um, we have some friends here that, um, you know, not super close friends, some acquaintances, some things that, that we would see a few times a year seemed super happy and all is well. Well, sadly, there was something going on in, with some mental illness, some heartache, some trauma, and the husband took the, the life as, of his spouse, his five children, his mother-in-law. This all happened this yesterday. yesterday. Oh, my God. Wow. And his life. Wow. That's horrible. And we don't know, you know, on the outside, looking in, super successful. All seemed well. And it wasn't. And we, as a society, need to get beyond and look and be willing to ask the hard questions. Definitely, we definitely need to look beyond the, the picture and go inside. Yes, and and not only to look at the uh, the big picture, but also to recognize one of the parts of the story that uh, we we really didn't emphasize much is the fact that here we had teachers for our son Reed that uh, recognized what was going on. And in in our life today, how many times do we walk down the street, look at something, and then just uh, gaze straight ahead like we didn't see it? And, and that is something that we'll always be grateful for is uh, teachers who are able to help us to identify the fact that there was a problem. And, and perhaps maybe that's one of the takeaways is that uh, we, we look at our lives and we look at the lives of those around us maybe a little bit differently, knowing that uh, there is more suffering, knowing that there's more mental illness in the world today than there ever has been before. There definitely is. You're right. And uh, I, like you said, those, the teacher when he was eight years old, what's that? Second, first, second, second grade, grade, I guess, right? Yeah. Second grade. Yeah. That's a very alert teacher because they have uh, one teacher teaches, what, 30 kids at a time all day long. She has to, he or she has to see those kids all day and try to find out something about each one that's different and to pick that out and be able to give you the knowledge of that, that you maybe you weren't able to see because you weren't looking at it from a different lens at your home that really helped him to, I guess, to give you the blessings of having them for those 13 more years. Yes. You know, and, and I will ever forever be grateful for her. You know, there's been something that I'd like to share with your audience about being broken and on my healing journey. And, you know, one day I was, I was going to be speaking to a group of women and I knew what their their theme was and, you know, that their focus of their conference was on. And I couldn't narrow down this message I needed to share. And one morning I was on the treadmill and I told Mark, I said, I've got to just just I've got to just focus on this all day long. And I later found this um, poem and this talk about a broken vessel. And, and then it went into Kintsugi, and Kintsugi is an ancient Japanese art where this precious vessel was broken, and the, the rulers 
servants thought they were going to be killed because they broke this vessel. And they spent this time and they this precious metal to put it all back together. And ultimately, this vessel was stronger and more beautiful because of the brokenness and, and the, the scars and the beauty that came because of those experiences. And then I, I saw this picture of, of our son, Reed, and he loved to keep his hair really short because you saw this scar that went from the top of his head, you know, down to his ear. And I hated it because the scar brought up, you know, these triggers and the trauma. And he had this big, nasty, gnarly scar on his, on his leg where he had knee surgery and then got a staph infection and all these other crazy things that went on. And I started thinking about compare me and how I hide my scars and why my son, why our son read, teaches, you know, pride, showing off his scars. And he had this eight by 10 glossy that he gave to his sisters and framed for them to have in their apartment, you know, at college. And he wanted everybody to see his scars. And then finally, one day, you know, as I'm just really pondering and trying to understand why is were we so different? And I realized that he re recognized that his scars were battle wounds of what he had overcome. Right. Well, my scars are also battle wounds of what I had overcome. But I didn't recognize that they made me stronger, that really they make me who I am. And, and that's what made Reed who he was, the things that he went through. And as each of us, whether it's in the military, whether it's just health issues or mental health or, you know, physical ailments, those battle wounds, those scars, the brokenness that when we heal, when we put it back to together with the precious metal, we are stronger we're more beautiful than we ever were before. And that was when the switch turned for me. Wow. And it was like, wow, I can make a difference. I don't have to hide from my brokenness because others are going to think this and this and this of me. Right. <laughs> Where I thought that before, you know, I thought if they knew I struggled with this, then what would they think? And I, as soon as that, that light bulb went off and I switched the way I thought about myself and my battle wounds and what I had overcome, everything changed. That's so amazing. one of the things, one of the things that we found rich is that uh, throughout those years, we lost our son in 2011. And since that time, we've recognized that there are things that uh, we, we go through that are inevitable. It's not a matter of, are you ever going to experience the death of a loved one? It's not a matter of, are you ever going to lose a job? Or are you going to be in a position where you, you don't have the resources that you need? And so one of the things that we have done is uh, we, we do an awful lot of uh, work with uh, adolescents. We, we talk to adolescents. We have groups of adolescents that we have a 10-week course with. We talk about things, anything from having healthy uh, thinking patterns, uh, our bodies and emotions, uh, overcoming anger, overcoming addictive behaviors. You know, the list goes on, providing strength to others, becoming a trail angel to somebody else. 
But one of the things that we focus a lot of our attention on is uh, stress levels, because that is something that we all deal with. And we have a color code, and this is nothing new to your listen- listeners. I'm sure that they've heard it all before, but stress levels and, and, and the fact that sometimes we get into a position in our lives where we just can't deal with things. And it was talking about this acquaintance of ours who obviously wasn't able to deal with the loss of a job, the loss of uh, affection, the loss of knowing that uh, his wife wanted a divorce. And so he did things that would be totally, totally uncharacteristic that uh, has changed the lives of, of so many families forever. But we, we focus a lot on stress level. And we recognize that uh, all of us are in different types of levels. And, and just briefly and quickly, you know, there are four different colors that we focus on. We, we focus on green. We focus on yellow. We focus on orange and then red. When you're in the green stress zone, you feel fairly confident. Uh, you feel that uh, you know, you're ready to meet life's challenges. And we're all in that time at sometimes in our lives. But then sometimes we get into that yellow time. We become tense. We become concerned. We become uh, insecure and maybe a little bit worried about life. And again, we all we all feel and we all become part of that uh, yellow stage as well. But then we start getting into areas, the orange areas. Maybe we're exhausted physically and emotionally. Maybe we're overwhelmed. Maybe we're easily angered. Maybe we're discouraged more easily. Maybe we, we just... We just feel like we just don't have the moxie that we used to have. And again, we all are sometimes in that orange level as well, but that's when we need to really start being careful. We get into the red level where we become hopeless, where we become uh, uh, isolated from others. You know, maybe our eating and sleeping habits change dramatically. We feel like we're unable to continue. And, and our focus with these adolescents is that uh, let's learn to identify those triggers. Let's learn to identify those times in our lives when we need a little bit of extra help. And that's something that we hope that we're doing with our mission right now. I think you guys are doing great with uh, your reach outreach to adolescents and everyone that you're you're helping along the way. When you talked about Reed's scar and how proud he was of the scar, first thing I thought was, yeah, he's he's going through a lot of stuff, but he's still a boy. Boys love scars and they love to show them off. When uh, I got wounded in Afghanistan, my niece was all worried about me, and I, I told her my knee now now looks like Harry Potter's head. <laughs> it was like a lightning bolt scar on my knee, and that just kind of made her able to deal with it a little more. So everyone has different processes, but being a boy, scar scars called uh, chicks dig scars is what we were, were taught. As well. <laughs> I think no that's doubt. what he thought too. And I think so it worked. <laughs> got a couple comments from listeners here, uh, both from the same listener from Charles Woods said he could not imagine the loss of a child and appreciate you sharing your experience with us. How long did it take before you began the healing process and how do you measure the growth as you heal? And then uh, his second question was, are you ever completely healed? Wow. Well, I'm going to answer that first because I'm going to talk about Annette. All right. Uh, Losing a child is something you never want to go through. The, uh, the, The most difficult thing that we've ever dealt with in our entire life. And the answer to the question, probably the second question, is you never you never get over uh, something like that in your life. But at the same time, you don't want to ever get over it. Yeah. It's something that uh, builds our character. It helps us to become more serviceable, more serviceable to other people. But I, I remember a time when Annette was approached by another person. Annette loves to laugh. She's a laugher. And uh, 
she was approached by another person who had lost her own child about a year before that. And uh, this person said, and, uh, you, know, you know what? You have no right to be happy. You have, you've lost a child and you'll forever be changed. And it changed her life forever to the negative. But how did you respond to that, Annette? Well, she told me I was living a lie. Wow. And how dare you smile? And how dare you, you know, laugh? And, and I said, I said, you know, you don't see me at home. And you don't see me all the time. I, I cry, but it's a choice. And it was a choice I consciously made. One that I knew Reed wanted us to go on living and being happy. Doesn't mean we don't miss him. I miss him every day. So Charles, you're asking, are you ever completely healed? I would say, yes, I am completely healed. But that doesn't mean I don't miss Reed. That doesn't mean I don't ache for him at times. But I'm able to find joy in life. I'm able to go out and, and feel like I'm, I'm helping others. You know, one of the things that was unique about Reed was he loved people. It didn't matter the age. He loved people. He loved helping others no matter what was going on. And, and so I feel like it's almost a tribute to him, my going forward and living. Now, part of that question too was how long did it take? There's not a timetable. There's no timetable to healing. And Mark and I healed very differently. And the process looked differently. And I thought he was in denial and he thought I was crazy in different ways that we were having to learn to heal and to grieve. It's individual. It's unique. It was different for our children. We still had, a, we, Reed has a younger brother and he had two older sisters. They were grieving as well. Everyone grieved in their own unique way. And we didn't do everything right. Again, we didn't have that. We didn't know. We'd never traveled that path before, I guess is, is how to say it. But honestly, when things, I was pretty good for about six months. And then Mark started traveling with work and our youngest son went to college and my life slowed down and I took a tailspin, a nosedive, and I had to deal with the grief. You know, does that make sense? Yes, it does very much so. And being, being healed down, it kind of everything bottles up on you when you slow down. Same thing I was talking about earlier with the soldiers or military people coming home. Once they slow down or change jobs, that's when it really hits the hardest. Here's what we've learned is that uh, you can be healed without being cured, and you can be cured without being healed. And when, when you look at those that are dealing with the suffering, you might have a broken leg, but you know it's probably going to get better. Uh, but the healing part is, is very difficult when it comes to the mind. And what we've learned is that it's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve differently. Uh, one, one of the big epiphanies in our, in our life is we, we took, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram. We took the Enneagram test, and, and it came out that... Uh, I was completely different than Annette was. I, I'm a, uh, 
Well, what, what were you? You you were a helper. I'm a helper. You're an achiever. <laughs> and and we learned that achievers and helpers are completely different when it comes to dealing with tragedy. And and so we learned a lot about ourselves. And and one of the things that we learned about ourselves is it's okay to ask for help. We we have this idea in our mind that uh, especially guys, you you know this, Rich, that as a guy, if you can't heal yourself, then there's a problem. You shouldn't have to go to someone that uh, is a professional. We have learned that uh, through not only ourselves, but uh, through other people that we've worked with and that uh, we've dealt with over the last number of years, that professional help is a critical component to that healing process. It definitely is. And uh, uh, we've seen, I've seen uh, advances with having professional help. Uh, when I first came out of the military, it was always medications. Without even looking at you, without even talking to you, here's these drugs to make you feel better. And I didn't even know what, what they were. So I just brought them to the police station and turned them in. Cause I didn't know what kind of drugs they were. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to take them. And I didn't want them in my body. And I finally found a doc that actually fit with me. And we just talked and we uh, did a EMDR with eye movement uh, therapy. And that helped me the best. And he was a great dude. Still is a great dude. And that led me to a better path and uh, got me out of my own way and helped me to get over myself. And that's one of the questions in the chat now. The military loves to medicate, and so is the VA. Is that an option? Is that also happening in, on the civilian world? Or what would be your personal recommendation to heal? You know, I think you need to trust those around you. And if you're at a point in your life where you don't trust yourself and your own intuition, then I hope you have a trusted confident, someone who mentors you, someone who will help you make the, those correct decisions. There are times that medication is needed, but I think it's needed with professional help. And, and not that you have to always see a therapist. I've had EMDR. It's a wonderful tool. Neurofeedback's a wonderful tool. There are tools and resources that aren't a prescription drug that that does so much good for you. But, you know, one of the things that I did to just, I think, function was that I just kind of blocked everything out. You know, I was still a mom. And whether it was through, you know, the years of caring for Reed, too, because it's hard to see your son go unconscious or have a seizure and not be able to help him as a mother get help him get better. I mean, those are those are real difficult situations to see. And I found myself just kind of numbing out just to be able to deal with everyday life. But what that did is I also didn't feel the good. I didn't feel the peace. I didn't feel the hope. And so we have to allow ourselves to feel And I can only imagine as a military individual who has seen so much trauma, who has been in situations that I can't even imagine, that they want to block out those things. Right. But we have to see and go through to heal. What Annette's saying is really important because we we try to go around the problem too often. And the the thing that we see more than anything else is self-isolation. 
And Annette mentioned that, uh, that uh, when we begin to self-isolate, we begin to self-medicate. We begin to do things for ourselves, or so we think, without uh, standing on the shoulders of giants, as, uh, as uh, Isaac Newton said. You know, we, we, we gain wisdom by being around other people that can help us. And, 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 I, and I think that one of the key and the critical pieces that we sometimes miss when we self-isolate is the fact that uh, we, we, don't, we, we often don't find our sustaining purpose in life. We, we look at ourselves, we, we, we pity ourselves, and, and believe me, we get it. The fact is that uh, we, we pity a lot of people because of what they're going through. But what happens, we, we begin those pity parties and we don't stop them. And we get to a point where all we do is sleep. All we do is eat. All we do is self-medicate. And we forget that uh, we do have a sustaining purpose. There's not one person that's listening to your show that doesn't have a sustaining purpose. And one of the things that we would encourage your listeners to do is to find that sustaining purpose. Recognize the things that you're good at. Recognize the fact that I might not be great at everything, but I'm good at something. And one of the things that I can be good at is, is helping somebody else out. When, when we were going through our own personal family pity parties, Rich, we, we had a situation one day where we, we learned a lot about our family really, really quickly. Do you want to share that quick story about uh, the windows? The windows. Oh, I'll, I'll share I'm it. sorry, I'm lost I'll, for a I'll second. share it. <laughs> our, 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 uh, our, our family was feeling really low. We'd had some bad news about Reed's prognosis and the kids were little and uh, probably an eight-year-old daughter at the time said, you know what we're missing right now? We're not serving anyone else. We need to help others. And so we made a very conscious decision to go over to an elderly woman's home near ours and wash her windows. And it was amazing what that did for our ability to get back on a right thinking pattern. It, it was the best medicine ever. And from the mouths of babes. Exactly. Give these information. That's awesome. You know, one thing I, I keep thinking, Rich, I, I guess I need to share it because it, the thought keeps coming to mind, is that not only do military personnel have PTSD, there are many others who do as well. Yes. Whether they're um, victims of abuse, whether it's just trauma in their life, just life's experiences that can cause that PTSD. But one thing that happened to me after Reed was gone, probably about that six month-ish mark, year mark, I lost sight. Mark talked about sustaining purpose. I didn't know who I was anymore. I was a caregiver. I was, you know, that went out the window window, basically, we're talking about windows, you know, when Reed passed away, I was no longer a caregiver. Or I was a stay at home mom. Well, now all my kids are away at school, or had graduated and, you know, living on their own and, and have a career. I didn't know who I was anymore. I lost sight of that. And so it took the healing, the healing journey was also me helping to find myself again. And, and that is part of what we have done with Karen the Load 
is that we've created an app called Finding Me. How do we find ourselves again? How do we find that sustaining purpose? Because life doesn't stay, and we aren't the same person and that same purpose at 20 when we're 40. Right. And and those things change. And, you know, I keep going back to that question that was asked. I think it was Charles. And, and the healing. Well, the healing has come through the journey, through that journey of being having courage because it was hard to look at the demons to look you know at through the pain to go through those those rocky mountains and valleys and find who I was again and i believe because of all of these experiences i'm a better individual i'm a better wife i'm a better mother i'm a better friend because of all these things. And I know that anyone listening can also become a better version of themselves. And maybe not even in the, it, you know, it's not even the scope of, of what they've thought. But as they go through the process and the journey of finding themselves again, it's amazing what will happen in the healing upon that they'll have. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That is amazing. And it's okay journey. to feel. Like Annette yeah. says, it's okay to feel. Right. We, we might not always appreciate what we feel, but it's okay. Because that's what gives us the stamina to go on and move forward, recognizing that uh, I can overcome whatever I've dealt with in life. Exactly. And, uh, and you guys have been through a lot, and now you're helping those also who are going through things to help them through their battle to get back to a better, become a better person and grow from their, from their loss or their grief, grow from that grief and become a better human also to help others. And I'm sure many people have come through your, your app or through you yourselves and said, Hey, thank you. And I'm sure that that is all it takes for you guys. There's just a thank you or a pat on the back. Say, hey, you're, you're making a difference for us. You know, it, it does. You know, one little thank you is, helps me on those days that, you know, are harder because, you know, are you healed? I can, you know, like I answered before, yes, but that doesn't mean I don't have hard days. <laughs> and so those are the things that help, help me continue. Definitely. So Mark and Annette, uh, you've shared a lot tonight and it's been great. Uh, love talking to you. How does someone get in contact with you if they want you to have you on their show or maybe just to chat with you and, and get some ideas? You know, the easiest way really is to download our app at Finding Me. And it's in the app stores. And um, it's free. It's free. That's Download. There's a community there. We, I think after this conversation, we're going to have a Misfit Nation community right there That's on the app. And people can converse back and forth through that as well. If that's okay with you, Rich, we'll talk to you. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's uh, that's the easiest way because it's just Mark and I that will respond and to to any personal, you know, things that reach out and questions that, that people might have. But we're on social media. You can find a lot with Finding Me app, Karen the Load, FindingMe.com. So all of those things are available. 
It just, like you mentioned earlier, Rich, people don't know what a Karen is. B-A-I-R-N. Those rocks. And we love the symbolism. And I love that still, but we needed something that people could spell. <laughs> and distinguish between a K-A-R-E-N. Yes. <laughs> you definitely added to my toolbox with that one. I wrote it down twice on here. That's what they are. <laughs> so, so thank you for that. And thank you again for taking some of your time to hang out with us tonight on the Misfit Nation. It's It's been a pleasure to do so. Uh, and, you know, just understand one thing, listeners, and that, and that is, is that you're not alone. There are so many there to help you to find the, the peace and whatever it is that you might be looking for. Just don't isolate yourself from others that uh, can help you. Outstanding advice. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Annette. And uh, I'll be back with you after the break here. Take care. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are 